Hello and welcome to another episode of Film Spill, a movie night podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea. Film Spill, if you already don't know, is a podcast that comes out every week and we talk about a movie by a female filmmaker every episode. We also discuss women in the entertainment industry in general. We play slumber party type games, spill entertainment gossip, and get to know each other and our guest. This week, we have a very special guest, Jordan, who is back on for season two. If you don't remember or haven't listened to the previous episode where she was on, she is the founder and EP for Onyx. Yep, I founded Onyx and now I'm here. And since, you know, starting Onyx, you have directed so many films and you're currently working on your new film, Strawberry. Yeah, so Strawberry is actually completely done. We finished it, I think, a week ago. So it's all done and ready to be submitted to festivals. Um, But yeah, that's my most recent film. And what do you see yourself doing in the future with your directing career? Yeah, so I'm actually applying to grad school right now. I'm applying to AFI, the directing program. So um, if I do get in, then I will be going this fall and and getting my master's in directing and hopefully directing, you know, a few, a few films. If I don't get in, then I'm just going to continue making short films and then hopefully, you know, getting better and better so I can direct my first feature. And what made you decide that you wanted to get your master's in film? Yeah, because um, just mostly just from AFI, because it's just such a good school. And I know that I'll be able to use those two years to just completely focus on directing, you know, instead of having a job and balancing, you know, being creative on the side, I'd, I'd get to kind of use that time to do it full time and also learn from some of the best um, professors in the, in the country. So that's awesome. So you would take off of work, you would leave work and just focus on getting your master's. Yeah, yeah. They actually tell you you cannot have a job while you're going there because it's that intense. It's like a very intensive two years. Wow. That's yeah. like nerve wracking, but exciting. Yeah, it's super exciting. It's very hard to get into. So just fingers crossed. I'm submitting my application very soon. It's due December 1st. So yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk about your requirements? Like what did you have to do to apply? Yeah. So I had to make a five minute long film with the prompt, um, a conflict. So as you know, <laughs> every film has a conflict in it. So it was a very broad prompt. Um, so I had to do that. And they encouraged us to make a very bare bones film that like doesn't use, you know, a bunch of like very fancy equipment, but focuses on storytelling. And then um, submit 10 minutes of a film I've already directed and it had to be just me directing it, not co-directed. So I submitted 10 minutes of Strawberry. And then um, I had to write three essays, two, one essay about each film. And um, it was like a page long. 
And then a three-page essay that's called like your narrative statement. And it, it basically like explains like who you are and why you want to direct and like who your influences are and, and why you choose AFI. And then I had to do <laughs> two professional <laughs> letters of recommendation. And I got two of my very favorite um, people that I've learned from in, in this industry. They're both women of color. And one of them's an exec at um, Rainy Productions, and one of them's my one of my professors. And I had took like three or four classes from her. She's really cool. And then just a transcript and a resume. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's okay. so much. Yeah, definitely a lot. <laughs> that's like a lot of like organization, like keeping track. Like, all right, what did I do? Check that off. <laughs> Exactly. It was like a whole process. Like I felt like I was back in school, you know. Now, have you ever considered that if you don't get in that you would consider to go to other schools for like to pursue your master's degree? I don't think so. I think if it, it would be a fire bust. And if I don't get in this year, maybe I'd try next year because um, you can just keep trying. But if I don't get in, then it's not a huge deal. And I just, you know, keep making my own projects and, and working. I feel that I love the determination. That's why I'm like sending all positive vibes. And I really hope that you do get in because you have put in a lot of work. And it takes it took a lot. Um, I'm really excited for what we have in store for this episode. So thank you so much, Jordan for recommending. We're all going to the World's Fair. What made you want to talk about this film? Okay, this film is crazy. Like, um, I saw it in the theaters when it came out. So first of all, I came into it not knowing much about it. Um, Just knowing that Alex G did the soundtrack and Alex G is one of my favorite artists. I've been listening to him (laughs) for a long time. So I I knew he did the score slash soundtrack. So I was like, okay, like he's never done that before. And he's more just like an an indie artist that like you, you know, you listen to on Spotify. Um, So I never really thought about him doing um, score or, or soundtrack. And so I knew the kind of movie that he would do score for would totally be like Alex G vibes. And if you listen to Alex G, like it's just very like pared down, like kind of like naturalistic, a little weird music. So I was super excited going into it. And then when I watched it, I was just completely blown away because I've never seen anything like it before. And then I found out that the director is non-binary and um, I loved that. I thought that that was really cool and I had no idea going into it. I don't know. There's just a ton that I'm so excited to break down about this movie. It's just very different. Yeah, I didn't even hear about the movie before you told me about it. And I was able to find it really quickly. And that's what I love about a film is that I'm able to find it quick and for free. And I really love the color um, of like the cover art Yeah. for it. I'm like, okay, this already looks trippy. And I love this. Like I love trippy feel movies. Yes. When I watched it, I it took me a bit to really understand what was happening, right? Yes. Because yes. I didn't know the backstory. Now, fast forward to when I was doing the research for this movie, it all started to make sense. Mm-hmm. We'll definitely get into more of the specifics. And before we do that, I want us to 
give this week's episode shout out. So this week, we will be discussing The Sex Lives of College Girls, created by Mindy Colling and Justin Noble. I always ask my guests, have you seen this show? Yeah, yeah so yeah. I saw the first, there's not another season out, right? I saw the It first did, season. it came out. Oh, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. two episodes. Okay, okay, I'm so excited to see these next two episodes because I loved the first season I thought it was so good and I watched the whole thing so I'm so excited yeah I binged the whole thing too it was so good the comedy was like on point it wasn't like dry comedy that -hmm. you get but I don't know if it's because it was also like so relatable and like their characters are all so different and written so well yeah I thought the characters were what really like pulled me in because they're yeah they're all very different I really liked um the character that Timothy Chalamet's sister um, plays. She, I think she's my favorite. Yeah, uh, Pauline Chalamet. Pauline. I was yeah. so shook when I found out that they were siblings. Like, I'm like, you've been siblings all along? <laughs> it's so weird, but I can see it. Like, they look alike. So for anyone who doesn't know what the show is about, it's about four 18-year-old freshman roommates at Essex College in Vermont who are a bundle of contradictions and hormones the sexually active college girls are equal parts lovable and infuriating um especially pauline chalamet's character kimberly because she's so like vulnerable mm-hmm. and she's like that witty character that is like so nice and she lets people walk all over her and she's like oblivious to like what's going on so yeah, I like her character too. The director shout out goes to Danielle Eisman, who directed season two, episode one and two. And she's the only female director that's directed two episodes back to back for the show. So I thought that's pretty awesome that she really kicked off season two. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So I'm really nervous, but excited for the Slumber Party type game this week. Okay. So this week, we're going to be basing it on the film. So we're diving into what creepypasta is and the whole scary side of the web. And yeah, what do you know about creepypasta uh, or what did you know about it previously? Okay. Okay. So, you know, I direct horror films. I'm a big horror person. So I grew up like reading creepypastas on Reddit. Um, So that's why like this film did kind of touch me. And so I'm very familiar. Like sometimes I'd be in the car, like on a road trip and I just look them up and read them and I'd get hella scared. I've always been a scaredy cat and just like very intrigued by all things like paranormal and supernatural because I feel like it's because I believe in in them and so that tends to scare me more like I'm very like there's more than meets the eye out there yeah and like honestly I feel like anything's possible I'm a true believer of the unknown (laughs) but I think that's what makes a really good story as well as when you can open up your mind to like possibilities to what else could be out there like for instance in this we don't really know what's capturing her in like internally if she is being affected by the game that she's so-called playing or is it just a psychological thing you know that's that's a part of the film that's really cool and it it reminds me of like my childhood so do you have any creepypasta stories 
that really spooked you when you read them? Yeah, so I was trying to find it, um, and I think I found it, but it's, like, in an archive. Like, it's not actually on Reddit. But there's one called 1999, and basically it's about, like, this person who's recalling, like, this show that um, he would watch when he was young. And it's called, like, Mr. Bear's Cellar, and it's basically, like a show about a guy wearing a bear mascot costume who would get a new visitor into his cellar every day and it was always a kid and the show was like filmed with a camcorder so it was like not very good quality and he would just watch the show basically like as you read it you figure that it's like a guy dressing up in a bear costume who like kidnapped these kids and it was like making a show like with them so it's really creepy what (laughs) that is so trippy the one that I picked had to do with a smiley face and I've been seeing a lot of like smiley face things I don't know there's a new movie or I don't know if it already came out called smile oh yeah smile is really good I saw it you did yeah it's really good you know I thought it was going to be really cheesy based on the trailer but it was actually good I really enjoyed it oh okay all right, I have to to take a watch. But it's pretty much like this person talks about this person's like walking down the street and they see someone who's like dancing, but like dancing kind of like off. And then they're like smiling and like they're like I've smiling to like this one. guy. Yeah, I've read this one for sure. Yeah, and that they like keep following this person who's like just like walking. But that's like what pretty much happens in this story. And then- the story of Slender Man, I remember when that became viral and people became famous because they made a made up YouTube like story series on how like Slender Man is like following them. Do you remember that? Yes, I remember that. As a kid, that scared me so bad. Yeah, me too. I was so vulnerable and like gullible and I thought that it was like legit. I didn't know it was fake. And there was a Slenderman video game. It was really creepy. Really? Yeah. Basically, like, you were walking in the woods at night in the video game, and you had a flashlight, but the flashlight was dying. And basically, you were trying to avoid, like, seeing Slenderman or something. It was really creepy. That's really creepy. Yeah. (laughs) I would not play that game. There is this thing that was going around the internet back in like early 2000s because I remember my siblings used to scare me with it but I don't know if you remember it so you would watch a video and this was when YouTube first became like a thing right or even seeing videos on the internet was a thing yeah so you would watch a video of like a song right and you would be jamming out to this song and then all of a sudden like something creepy would pop up on the screen that's a freaking big face that's like a creepy yeah. face One time I was watching that and the face popped up on the screen and I ran and got my dad and I made him close the page because I couldn't do it. I know exactly what you're talking about. And it would happen so often. So I was terrified to open like any fucking video on the internet because I thought that it was going to stop and something was going to pop up. It was totally a trend. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like it was more then than it is now like that's why I was so shocked that there's still a community and like people can still watch like YouTube videos on creepypasta 
Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I think yeah, definitely was more trendy like when we were kids for those scary things on the internet. Like I feel like now everyone's kind of desensitized and like we're used to like that kind of stuff, you know, so it's not like very scary anymore. <laughs> That's what's interesting about the film is like it's definitely not a true horror film. I wouldn't even say it's like horror it kind of like captures a feeling you know of kind of like Mm. loneliness and the isolation and how you just turn to the internet for like that safety comfort space or just to have a community yeah I remember I was on the internet way too much as a kid because it was becoming such a big thing and now we like criticize kids for being on the web but I'm like I was on the web a lot too (laughs) yeah a hundred percent like when it's kind of a newish thing for you, like you just want to be on it all the time. Like I remember I really loved social media. Um, I, I got a Facebook like when I was 11 or 12. And, you know, I think maybe being on social media that early was kind of, I don't know, maybe I could have gone on it later because there's like a lot on there, you know? And like, um like omegle like chat rooms I feel like are so scary for kids to be in because you're chatting with anonymous people that could be like child predators and we did it so freely like I remember going to sleepover as we were like teehee go on omegle (laughs) and chat to strangers and then you would always see someone jerking off and it was so easy for us to access that and that's why there was a lot of crime rates that started to go up because people started chatting with random strangers online going to meet up and getting snatched up like you know what movie so freaks me the fuck out to watch the megan goes missing oh my god that one just like i can't fully watch that movie 100 like um there's that black mirror episode um called um shut up and dance have you did you see black mirror like that all the episodes i haven't seen all episodes but i have seen like a handful but i don't i don't know about that one yeah that one's really crazy because basically it's like a guy and he's like watching porn or whatever and um someone hacks his webcam and films him like watching it and also like what's on his screen and we don't know what it is that he's watching um and basically they blackmail him and they make him do all this crazy shit or they threaten to like send the video to his family and friends and then at the end it's revealed that he was watching like child porn so like basically it's like terrible what he was doing you know and so Um, It makes sense, like, why he went through all of these things to, like, cover it up or whatever, that it captures this era of, like, people can hack your webcams, they can, like, you know, blackmail you, they can threaten you. Yeah, oh my gosh, and even just by, like, a click of a link, and even through text messages, they try to get you too. like, you can easily, by accident, just click a link, and them have all of your information. Oh, yeah. I'm so wary about those. Like, I just never open them or click them. Yeah, me neither. Like, I don't even care if 
I know where it's coming from. I'll just delete it. I'm like, if I need to seek further, I'll just go on the app or whatever the case may be. Well, let's get into this week's film. So today we're going to be talking about We're All Going to the World's Fair, directed, written, and edited by Jane Schoenberg, which is a horror slash thriller film that came out in 2021. We're All Going to the World's Fair is available to watch on HBO Max, Prime Video, YouTube, and Google Play. This discussion will contain spoilers for the film, so if you haven't already seen it, go watch and come back afterwards to hear our thoughts. Do you want to tell us about We're All Going to the World's Fair? Yeah, so We're All Going to the World's Fair follows um, teenager Casey. Casey is a very, like, lonely teenager. Um, She's kind of just in her room in her house and then, like, the area around her house for the entire film. So it's very much like a one-location type of film. It really shows, like, the isolation and then the only person that she really interacts with outside of the internet is her, I believe it's her dad. And um, her dad is just comes home from work sometimes. I don't even think we see his face. He barely interacts with her. They don't eat meals together or anything. Yeah, it's winter break. So she doesn't go to school or anything. Um and she's just sort of very lonely and she's she turns to the internet to kind of keep her company and she decides to do this challenge called we're all going to the world's fair for those of you who didn't grow up like i guess in the early 2000s like there were a lot of challenges in like the early 2000s when the internet first like became a thing and yeah, and like the cinnamon challenge. Oh yeah, it's eating like a spoonful of cinnamon. Yeah. So there's definitely like challenges like more recently, but in like the early 2000s there were a lot of like more creepy ones, like the we're all going to the world's fair one, especially on Reddit. But basically she decides to participate in this challenge and it's basically this like weird thing where you go through this like little ritual right like you say like we're all going to the world's fair we're all going to the world's fair you do some other things and then apparently you're supposed to be like going through like a transformation and like you kind of turn into like a different version of yourself is that what you kind of got from it yeah like it's supposed to capture you transforming yeah which is like they weren't very clear about like how you transform or like what necessarily is going to happen to you so basically Casey does it and she does the challenge and through it you know she meets one person in particular on the internet who saw her doing the challenge and is concerned about her because They've done a bunch of research into this challenge and they're concerned about the people that participate in it. I think some people have even like died or something. And then um, this person grows a a very intense interest in Casey. Yeah, that some may say seems kind of predatorial. Yeah, that person is an, an adult man. And it's 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 a weird relationship because it's like he definitely seems very actually concerned for her and like just wants to be her friend 
but throughout the movie you know it grows definitely closer but yeah it's a very it's it's very the movie's interesting because it's slowly paced it's kind of like a character study into Casey and it's it's basically studies her isolation loneliness how she's coping with that loneliness through this challenge it's sort of like kind of an, a descent into like this really negative place that she kind of goes into and we don't know if that's because of the challenge or if it's because she's a, a girl who's lonely and doesn't have any friends and doesn't get any interaction from her parents and is going through like a very intense like depression yeah and there's moments that are captured in the film that that's what really makes you question it so like one scene where she has her like favorite stuffed animal and starts like ripping it apart and that is one of like the most like photogenic scenes like I don't know I like photogenic but like picture perfect where like the colors are just so like vibrant and it gives you like that like trippy feel yeah it's very visual like um she has this stuffed animal you know she carries the stuffed animal through the whole film and it's like her best friend basically and she is just like randomly raging yeah so this is like where you think that like okay maybe it is starting to affect her because before this scene jlb sees footage of one of her nights because she's like documenting her sleeping and he fast forwards to like probably like a 2 a.m the witching hour close to the witching hour and she is staring into the like light bulb like really creepily so that's where you start seeing like this intensity like okay is this paranormal or is she just like doing this purposefully you know um because each like factor like each like uh physical I guess um interaction that she's starting to have with the camera is like different um and there's nothing happening to her surroundings so that's what also makes you question that like you don't see like a chair flying and you're like oh no she's getting like possessed or something like no um it's just her personally um dealing with the changes that this game is apparently having on her Uh, it's it's so interesting okay also like the way that the film was shot is interesting because it was shot like on a photo booth for like Mm -hmm. a lot of it which is crazy because I think the director even says that um yeah she she really like liked just like the feel of photo booth and like as a medium like which is so cool because I've never heard it described that way but it actually is kind of a vibe like just like the like aesthetic of photo booth you know yeah I feel like as a creative you do seek out like just kind of like the vintage touch it's like a personality kind of like trait that you can bring to your film and I I liked it too because I think it was smart we do see these types of films like unfriended I believe and um there's one other movie that had to do with it being on like on like a zoom meeting chat just came out that was like a they were like on a zoom type thing oh my god it got really good reviews it was like during the pandemic because like that was kind of one of the only ways they could shoot a film is through zoom and they actually did shoot it only through zoom yeah yeah and it's smart uh, there was um I follow some like film people on 
Instagram and this recent filmmaker who is a female just made a short that's them on, I guess, Tinder creating a profile and it's so smart. And so she just brings up the concept that like, you don't need all this fancy stuff to make a good film. You can literally have the bare minimum as long as you have a good story. And that's why I really like appreciate these stories that primarily base their plot in just like one location because it's hard to do it's hard to keep something entertaining um and switch up and to like really like bring up like the message or like the point that you're trying to get across 100 percent. and I also think that um when you're making a film through mediums like um tender like you just said or zoom or photo booth like it feels more visceral and real like because we can all relate to using these mediums it's actually smart because first of all it's easy to use like it's as a filmmaker like obviously like making a film through these things is like much easier than you know renting like an alexa mini or something to shoot on it's smart because of that but it's smart because it also creates this kind of um familiarity and like um relatability that you wouldn't get through shooting on you know a high quality camera so it kind of kill kills two birds with one stone and I think I think that that's really beautiful if you can make really quality like relatable film out of that and I think we're all going to the world's fair really does that I li- a lot of people don't see the difference in the type of equipment that you use and I know one of the equipment that we're talking about is just having a camera what have you noticed in your previous films with the different types of cameras that you use or have you used the similar camera each time yeah no we I've I've used a good amount of different cameras um we shot strawberry my most recent film on Alexa mini because I kind of wanted the best of the best for this one like and that was just a beautiful camera to use but you know it's very expensive and it's kind of like a top of the line camera I've shot a good amount of my films on a black magic because I have a bunch of friends with black magic and that's definitely like lower quality than Alexa mini but it is you know gets the job done my found footage film that I did on Rio was shot on like a Sony or something something someone already had and that kind of lower quality camera was really good for more of a like found footagey type thing you know I really want to shoot films on different mediums like I want to use my phone more because um we know that you can make a good film shooting on an iPhone because um the one who did the Florida Project and Tangerine. What's his name? Sean Sean Baker. Yeah, so he shot Tangerine, which was, I think, his first feature. I could be wrong. On, like, four or five different iPhones. And one of them was, like, the iPhone 5. And it just, it gives it this, like, very, like, real feel. Very tangible. I think people and audiences connect with things that are more personable and that they can relate to. If you want to capture an audience's attention, that's definitely like a number one thing that I feel like I look for is like, how can people relate to my story? Exactly. Yeah. And I I think, you know, using very humble devices and mediums to make your film is 
is definitely an artistic choice that really works a lot of the time if that's like what you're trying to do. Yeah, it's amazing how far we've come with just technology in general and the fact that we can use our iPhones to make content. You know, I've been trying a lot more now to use my iPhone to create content. And now that I've been doing it more, I'm like, wow, like, why didn't I start this sooner? (laughs) Yeah, like there's nothing, there's no excuses anymore. Like there's nothing in the, in your way, like, you know. It's true. It's like the only excuses that are getting are in the way are yourself and the ones that you keep coming up for, um, you not producing it. So it takes a lot of work to make a film, but honestly, if you're really dedicated to doing it, it could happen. You can make it happen. A hundred percent. So I wanted us to get into the writer, director, and editor for this film, Jane Schoenberg, who is a non-binary filmmaker and writer. Uh, their pronouns are they, she. We're All Going to the World's Fair is their first narrative feature film. They are the writer-director for their upcoming film, I Saw TV Glow, which is being produced with A24. Pretty awesome. Um, I figured out that they were able to book this because once they landed in Sundance, um, Schoenberg got an agent and then that helped them pave the way to their new film. And um, I didn't know that Emma Stone has a production company, but this film is like, in works with Emma Stone's production company, Fruit Tree. Fruit Tree is such a cute name for a production. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea either. Like, give me a job there. Like, <laughs> Right, me too. I was like starting to Google it. I'm like, careers. <laughs> yeah, right. I would too, yeah. Um, I also saw that. So they went to Boston University for college. I'm talking about Jane. Sorry, I didn't clarify that. But Jane went to Boston for film. um, And then they moved to New York. They didn't start their film career until they were in the Gotham Film and Media um, Institution. So I wanted to kind of spread that message to anyone who doesn't know the Gotham Film and Media Institution. I didn't know who they were until I started learning about who Jane is as a person. Um, and how they got their film education from. But this is um, a creative space that celebrates and nurtures independent film and media creators, providing career building resources, access to industry influencers, and pathways to wider recognition. If you're interested in learning more about the Gotham Film and Media Institution, I will link their website in the show notes. And there is an upcoming class December 12th, and it's virtual. So if you want to take it, it's $75. The film premiered at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival on January 31st, 2021. A lot of things happen at the end of January. I don't know what it is. So Jane Schoenberg wrote the film during a dark period in their life before they began physically transitioning, reflecting on their experiences on the internet as a young queer kid in the early 2000s. At the time, Schoenberg spent most of their online life on horror film forums and writing fan fiction. And they did fan fiction on like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and one other one that I forget, but they're a Buffy fan, Buffy fan. Yeah, I am too. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is so iconic and there's so much to dive into about Buffy. Like I've seen Buffy used as like experimental like in in art museums like as experimental like film pieces like like examining Buffy and stuff there's like Buffy is very interesting like there's so much to talk about 
Yeah. I know you were talking earlier about Alex G and how you were a fan, um, but it turns out Schoenberg was a fan as well and reached out to Alex G um, after they finished their film. And then they agreed to score the film, which is pretty awesome. And that actually happened um, or happens pretty often. I would say like, it's so interesting because um, you can actually get, you know, bands or artists on board to score um your short film or to score your feature film more easily than you would think like oftentimes you know artists or musicians they they haven't um they haven't ever done it before and they love movies and it's been like a dream of theirs to do to score a film so I've noticed that like even if you just shoot them an email, shoot their manager an email, DM them on Instagram, like it's actually just so easy to get your favorite artist on board. Like um we just did that with one of our shorts at Onyx um acquired taste. There's this one song called um Cannibal Queen by the band Miniature Tigers. And Miniature Tigers are actually pretty big. Like they're a pretty pretty big indie band um and basically the director emily who's a part of onyx she just dm'd them on instagram and and they gave her the rights to use the song you know for a certain amount of money but oftentimes you know like bands love having their songs and film and and would love the chance to score a film so that's pretty awesome i didn't know that happened for acquired taste yeah it's really cool Wow, I see. That's why it's always good to know other bands, indie bands, and not just focus on just like the regular pop artists that we listen to on a daily. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I feel like if you have an indie band or if you have a smaller artist, not even smaller, though, because, for example, like Alex G is pretty big. Like, he's definitely like indie, but I would say like he's a household name and like for people that like indie music and so it's really cool that Jane was able to get him on board but it's funny because it's just the movie and then his music are very they align so I can see why he agreed to do it I think that um it's nice to see other creatives supporting other creatives like he obviously didn't know where this film could go you know but the fact that they believe in it from the start and want to work on it is like pretty amazing I mean yeah even though it's like for some sort of money because they got they got to make their living too but it's nice to see other creatives supporting um other creatives regardless of their level of like stardom yeah no like he he probably had no idea where this movie could go it could have gone nowhere so it is really cool do you see like marketing or like do you think about marketing when getting people on board with your movie so like Alex she was obviously a name and that could help promote the film do you think that that plays a role with how the marketing or just marketing your film a hundred percent like once you have a name like Alex G attached to the film that definitely helps so that that was probably a thought that ran through Jane's mind um with it because people who are Alex G fans are gonna go see the movie you know when they normally wouldn't just to hear the score and to hear the soundtrack um so yeah it's a very smart move and I do think about that as well um 
especially like with talent like attaching you know c-list b-list a-list talent to your film um will always kind of bring their audience with them now i know in this film this was actually anna cobb's debut role which was incredible to see that her acting ability seemed like it was like years in training not that this was like her first time doing something like this and she doesn't even like horror all like that yeah it's crazy because it's such like a naturalistic performance so I can only assume that Jane kind of created this very like safe natural environment for Anna um especially like depending on if they're using like pretty low-key technology to record the film and to make the film I'm sure it kind of maybe the room even kind of felt like you know Anna's own room or they they kind of probably it's not just Anna who was incredible like she was probably her performance is a huge part of it like her her own ability to act but like probably like Jane was able to also create this atmosphere that helped bring out that performance you know if the film was pretty low-key so I don't know but it, it was it was really really good like bone chilling performance yeah because definitely production design plays a part in creating that atmosphere and if things were a lot brighter and things weren't as dark using certain color schemes so like the glow in the dark effect that wouldn't work in just any kind of setting or room you know you have to bring or like know how to work with colors in order to bring out that certain like dynamic and when she was watching the video as well that was so trippy I was like am I getting like hypnosed right now right and are you talking about the videos when she was like in the shed that one and then there's another one where like the videos are um she's watching the like challenge and it just starts like flashing different colors like on her face but you also see the video as well like it shows you a clip for like a long time right for like a long time (laughs) oh my god yeah that was crazy there's just like the way it was shot there's just like some really long drawn out moments where we're just kind of with her and it takes like a very talented actor to be able to like just be so natural for that long and to just draw us in and as well as like Jane creating this like environment of it being like so natural as well yeah I wanted to figure out how Jane was able to find Anna because I know it's such a lengthy process finding your like lead actor or actress for your film Jane didn't know which route to do like to have either a male or female like protagonist in the film they spent a very dark two days reading through every single entry on the YouTube wiki of every significant YouTuber wondering if there was someone out there magnetic enough to play Casey. And then they saw Anna's headshot. She reminded me a little bit of Billie Eilish and I was like, oh, that's an interesting look. It was also an incredibly different headshot. It was taken in a bathroom mirror, not professionally. It looked like something Casey would have uploaded in the film. Oh my god I love that see this is like just another example of like how like something like very high quality and like very professional isn't always like the route that like you need to take like even just like this person's headshot being more raw and naturalistic and like 
real drew the filmmaker to cast her so it's like you know you don't always need this fancy headshot fancy equipment like if this is the vibe of the film then like you know it they work together maybe she did because I didn't look too much more into it but maybe she did read the synopsis for the film and was like you know what no like this is how it should be and this is what I'm going to submit and like submitted that because I don't know like I feel like some people just like automatically are like gravitated towards certain roles like they were meant to play that role how did you cast for your past films like how was the casting process for you yeah it's interesting with strawberry because um strawberry was based off of a feature script that I wrote and so I first wrote the feature it's called supernova and in the feature um they're brunette with blue eyes because it's based off of um a relationship that I had because I basically like the crazy story is that I was in like a toxic relationship in high school with a guy and then like we broke up and I ended up connecting with his ex-girlfriend and dating her and that's how I discovered my sexuality but me and her looked a lot alike and so we both had brown hair and like light eyes hers are a little more green but so basically I wanted the characters to have the same kind of coloring that we did in supernova but then with strawberry we had so strawberry the plot is a little different from the feature like it's about like a stuffed animal much like the one that casey has in um and we're all going to the world's fair um named strawberry and it's like a pink bear but I also thought it would be cool if like the actors were redheads with freckles because that's kind of like a strawberry um so I thought it would be cool if there was like another nod to the title with the way that they looked so we just only looked for redheads and um like natural redheads with freckles and that was so crazy because you know there's only a very small percentage of the population that are redheads with freckles so it really narrowed it down just physically first of all which I've never I've never narrowed my search down that small before usually we do like all ethnicities all hair colors everything um so that was interesting and then we needed to find to people that looked alike you know like there are there are a bunch of redheads that don't look alike you know so that was really interesting and our casting director Britt who is in Onyx um really helped with that and we ended up finding two people that really looked alike Emily Gately and Daisy Titchener and they slayed so yeah otherwise you know a lot of the time I like to use people that um I'm already familiar with with casting because um I like to have a really close relationship with my actors and I like to be able to communicate with them very often when I'm like directing them like I want to be able to just text them an idea or like shoot them an article or shoot them a film suggestion so I like feeling really comfortable with them so I've used my friend um, Mallory in a lot of my films. Um, she's an actress. And it's just great when you can be very vulnerable and comfortable with people. So now that I have Daisy and Emily under my belt, hopefully I'll be able to 
work with them a lot in the future because I know that they're amazing to work with but yeah that's neat that you explain it like that because I feel like we don't necessarily hear that very often and we just see directors who do carry on the same actors or actresses to their films but they don't explain why so like you you pretty much kind of explain like you want to have a great relationship with your actor or actress and you want to be able to shoot them concepts and them to just kind of already understand how your creative brain works so they can execute your visions 100 percent. it's like when you're working with actors you need to be so you need to be so vulnerable and open with them. Like they need to be able to feel like they can do anything around you because like oftentimes like what the character has to do is really crazy, you know, depending on what the movie is or, and you, you want them to feel 100% comfortable with you and you want to feel 100% comfortable with them because you're doing weird stuff together. You know, film is weird. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. I think that's why people have their muses and then they write roles for them, you know, with them in mind because they've worked with them before. Yeah, for sure. I think it's it's a, such a collaborative also field that a lot of the times people feed ideas off of each other. So it's Sometimes someone else might have a better idea than you had in the first place and it works better the way that they're performing it. And you're like, actually, I like this better. Um, let's keep this. Yeah. Depending on the kind of like director you are, or the kind of actor you are, like if you really trust your actors, um, then you should be able to like allow them to change lines and to change even parts of the scripts because they know their character like inside out at this point better than you hopefully it's such a great moment when you're watching it on screen and they're you're watching their performance and they're giving you everything that you want plus some you're like this looks so good like it's just such a good feeling oh yeah absolutely like when they've reached that potential that you were hoping that they could it's great yeah. Oh my God. I love it. I, I love making films and just the whole process of it just makes me so like giddy and yeah, I love I it. I never want to stop. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so different. Even though this industry is draining physically, mentally, all the above, um, it's so rewarding. And when you finally see like your finished product, it's all worth it. It really is. Yeah, it's very crazy, but it's kind of like, like, there are a lot of other industries that are like, like this, I feel like, like, I've been watching a lot of cooking shows, and like, <laughs> when they're in the kitchen, and they're like, all screaming at each other, and like, going so quick, and like, you know, it's like, anything that you're like, creating something as a group, I feel like is very, like, similar like when you're in a kitchen cooking and you're all trying you're all working towards the same goal it's similar to like being on set and like all like working towards the same goal and it's just so fulfilling at the end you know it's a lot of hard work but it's very fulfilling wait what cooking shows have you been watching <laughs> I've been watching um the uh master chef with Gordon Ramsay I love that show. Like, it's so good. Love that show, it's so good, and I look forward to it all the time. Like, yeah. there's it's a new season. I'm there. Oh yeah, 
no it's like and it's so it's so competitive I love it wait so did much. you watch the um the recent season the one that just no, came out I watched season five I just finished season five I'm like really behind oh my gosh yeah you're really behind <laughs> that was like 2014 or something so I'm excited to keep watching yeah oh my god it's so great so I actually started off with watching MasterChef first and then I gravitated toward I gravitated towards Hell's Kitchen and Hell's Kitchen is just like just as good it's oh, I, I love, love it Hell's Kitchen. yeah I've seen I've seen a good amount of episodes of that too yeah yeah it just anything with Gordon Ramsay I'm there <laughs> I love Gordon Ramsay <laughs> Me too. Uh, oh my god, that's so funny that you love cooking shows too, because I talk about them all the time, and like no one else watches them. Really? And I'm like, am I just like geeking out? Because I love, yeah, I love freaking cooking shows. Yeah, I love like any kind of competition show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Like I watched the Holiday Baking Championship. That sounds good. <laughs> it's um, I don't know if you watch because I I used to watch the Food Network a lot growing up. My yeah, sister was like really into it. Yeah, so- <laughs> I was a big Chopped, Chopped fan. Oh my god, when I used to go to the <laughs> hospital a lot, I like throw back to that. But I used to watch Chop all the time. Yeah, it's the best. <laughs> it's my favorite. It is it's so good. Um, you've been chopped. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know if you know, like, so when I used to watch these shows, right? I was younger. Now and I would be like, oh, these are adults. They're so old. These yeah. people are like in their 20s and their 30s. But now being in my 20s and seeing the people on the show are like my age, I'm like, damn. Like, it's so weird. It's, it's like so I, weird. I felt that way a lot lately with various things. Yeah. Like what? Just like whenever you see like someone in their 20s or 30s, yeah, like you said, like on a show or like you know doing something that you remember like when you were a kid and you saw 20 something or 30 something doing something and you're like they're old they're like in their they're definitely like a classic adult like classic age and it's just weird because you don't really feel that way inside you know yeah no for real like I don't feel like my age yeah I feel like most adults maybe feel that way yeah, maybe we can all relate to the same thing. <laughs> Do you have any last like thoughts or like comments that you'd like to say about the film? I definitely love like the atmosphere, basically. I think that's the main reason I love the film is the atmosphere it creates because um, I actually wrote a letterbox review on it and I'm just going to pull that up real quick. Yeah. That's awesome. You do letterbox too. Yeah, sometimes. I don't do it for every film I watch, but if I have like thoughts. So I said, um, this film is something completely different and unlike anything I've ever seen before. It's totally extremely melancholy and lonely, but simultaneously captures the feeling of being on the edge of something extremely dark and horrible. I think that that's a very vague sentence that I wrote. She's very much like there's something going on, you know, inside of her and something could go very wrong, you know, because like trigger warning suicide. But I think that that's sort of like what it's maybe like leading up to, you know, is like and I think maybe we're all going to the World's Fair is sort of um, even maybe a metaphor for like being on the edge of like wanting to end your life. You'll feel unsettled, sad, but also oddly nostalgic, like you felt this way before in your teen years, or maybe you feel it now. 
because I think we've all been there where we've been like very very lonely and kind of turning to something to cope and to connect with people um something to maybe even like save your life or something you know to make to ground you and yeah it's like a weird thing in this movie like turning to like a challenge but it's kind of a metaphor I think for something I said Anna Cobb is overwhelmingly vulnerable you don't want to look away from her especially when she's looking into your eyes because that's also something really interesting about this film is like she's staring at you the whole time and like it's it's pretty crazy um and then lastly I say I'm really excited to see more from Jane Schoenbrunn. Seeing films that break the mold like this remind me not to think inside the box. Even though it's tempting to conform, it's important to hold on to a feeling, take it, and ride with it. Because I think this film really captures like a feeling. I think that was nicely said. It definitely does capture the feeling of vulnerability and seeking some sort of comfort or reassurance on the internet and having that type of community that is not much talked about anyways but is actually out there you know there's all types of different sorts of crazy or like not crazy but just like all types of just like random stuff online that we might not know of because there's just so many different communities and this film does a great way of depicting that and telling that side of stories and maybe will encourage other people that have experienced the same thing, but a different community who come out and make a similar film. Yeah, there's like so much out there in the world, like for various like communities and like groups and stuff. Um, and I think, um, you know, Casey kind of finds her in this and it's a weird one. And it's like, maybe not the healthiest but yeah it's definitely like a way to she's coping but thank you for listening this has been film spill a movie night podcast thank you so much jordan for being a fantastic guest i loved having you back on thank you so much for having me i had an awesome time as usual chelsea you're an amazing host and such a good conversationalist and very interesting person so thanks thank you for having me on oh that's so sweet i love that thank you would you like to plug in your social media your projects and anything else that you're going to be working on sure yeah my social media my instagram is at jordan rose photos um we've got the onyx instagram as always at onyx.film watch strawberry when it comes out my short film and then um the rest of my films are available on my website which is jordan hyphen pfeiffer p-f-e-i-f-e-r.com you can also follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest. All are at Film Spill Pod. Tell a friend about the podcast if you like and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That'll help other people find Film Spill too. Special thanks to Onyx Films for promoting us. You can check out Onyx's other projects at onyx-films.com. Until next time, don't cry over spilled films. I'm not a woman.